You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. My ratio of choice, Kirk's ratio of choice. If you're heading off trail, this is the shoe you want on your foot. Right now, discount code RUNNINGPUB40 will get you $40 off the VJ Shoe Zero. This is a 20 carbide tipped winter running and racing beast. Go to VJShoesUSA.com and use it today. We are making media right now. Media makers. We're media makers, yeah. Bracken, let's jump into it, man. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. So Spartan announced that the Spartan Race World Championships are going down in Abu Dhabi in December of 2020. It's crazy news, isn't it? For multiple reasons. A, it's Abu Dhabi. Like It's a fantasy world over there. It is as different of a place as you can possibly be. And it's in December. We suddenly have a 12-month race season. Like There are a lot of levels to this news, but all of it's crazy to me. I agree with that. And from gathering, uh, let's call it the public's feedback. You know, there's a mixed bag going on, whether this is a great idea, whether this is a terrible idea. Now, I don't know if we're necessarily going to jump into, let's call it the political side of things. However, um, do you have like just like a knee jerk reaction to the announcement? I do, but like it's it's both knees. Both okay. I'm I'm yeah. Use both bo- my knees jerk. Use use both knees, Bracken. <laughs> so the first knee jerked up in the air is like, I love traveling to the Middle East. I've been there twice. I had an incredible experience both times. The the selfish part of me is like, I cannot wait to go back. I wanted to bring Lisa back. I, I was talking with Brayden just a few months ago. He's my my seven-year-old that someday like I cannot wait to take him over there because it's such an experience. And then the, the right knee jerked up in the air. And it was like, this is a terrible decision. <laughs> it is one of the most obscure spots in the obstacle racing world. It is a long travel for most people. I mean, all of Europe is accessible, but it's still a six-hour flight for most people in Europe. And it's a really hotbed political place. So I love the people and the relationships I've developed in Dubai. And I also recognize that it might be a terrible choice of a place to go in terms of a global perspective. You know, I think it's important that you led with your left knee jerk, which I believe was the fact that um, you liked the place enough where you wanted to go back and bring your family. So obviously there was something likable about the place um, for yeah. you. So we're going to jump into a number of things here with Abu Dhabi coming up. But if you just had to just snapshot me what it was like, list off what you liked about the place, what was it? It, it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. So with Dubai, and I actually traveled to Dubai. I saw Abu Dhabi on a day trip, but I was in, I was located in Dubai, which is from where I was staying, it was an hour and a half drive to the border. So, I mean, for us, it's like you and me. I, I can get to Abu Dhabi from Dubai quicker than I can get to Minnesota in our state's touch. Breaks my heart. You're five hours away, Bracken. Breaks my heart. But it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It is desert. And they just decided we we're going to throw money at this desert, and they created a city out of it. Like the shops on the edge of the city literally sweep back the sand. They sweep back the desert each morning and night. Like they just created a city out of sand. And it is so affluent and opulent over there. It's just like nothing I've ever seen. The city is lit up 24-7. I went out in the middle of the day and they were watering. It was like 96 degrees out and they're just watering their grass because money's not in incredibly real over there. It's just a, it's like oxygen. Bracken, we need to back up. You just used a word opulent. All right. You're very smart. Obviously. What does opulent mean? Bracken Kirk all the time. I talk and say things that I have no idea what it means. <laughs> no one knows what opulent means. Cause I have not a clue. 
Look it up. We'll, we'll make it a homework assignment for the for the public out there. Define opulent in the comments. You know what? Actually, podcast. I want to see if you use this correctly. Come on. I was a teacher, Kirk. <laughs> oh, wait. So you did use it correctly or you don't want me to discredit your prowess? No, I don't. Don't describe my prowess. I mean, you, you can. I, I don't mind being discredited, but I know what the word opulent means. Okay. All right. You're very good. Ostentaneously rich and luxurious or lavish. The short definition is wealthy. So, and if you looked up go. downtown Dubai in the dictionary, that word would just perfectly describe it. Okay. I, I, so we'll get into all the different parts of it later, but I was walking down the road at two in the morning because my time zones were all off yeah. and just cruising past me was a Lamborghini at two in the morning, just casually going about its business. Beyonce was performing on a rooftop at a tennis tournament that they had going. And there was a helicopter landing on the building to my right. It was just like, you talk about the word opulent. It was the most opulent setting I could possibly picture being in. And this is two in the morning where nothing should be happening. And all this, is, it was just, it's just crazy. It's worth seeing. It, it has everything you could imagine, imagine if you wanted to just create a fantasy city. That sounds really nice, Bracken. I'm not a huge Beyonce fan, uh, but other than that, sounds fantastic. Ring the alarm. I could listen to that on repeat. Okay. <laughs> I'm not like a I'm not I'm not a Beyonce diehard, but she's got some bangers out there. So you didn't ask me about my knee-jerk reaction. Kirk, I've been I've been thinking a lot about this. What was your knee-jerk reaction? You know what? Great investigative questioning. <laughs> You're really diving in here. Um I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it for one main reason. Now, <clears throat> I know there's been a little bit of negative uh, reaction to, to the announcement and all that, but I think I'm a big believer in spending your money on experiences, not things, okay? And I think that Abu Dhabi is a place in which I don't know if I necessarily would choose to travel to um, if I didn't have a reason to go, but now that... Um, I do. I'm going. And I think that to have it as an an excuse to travel to a place in which is so different from where I live and so different from anything I'm used to and to kind of twist my arm and force me to go is actually very appealing to me to go to a place in which um, wouldn't be in my typical wheelhouse of vacations, we will call it. And so I am actually very happy with that decision. Um, because I don't know if I will, you know, go again or outside of this race circumstance. And I actually like that because I've seen Tahoe, I've seen Big Bear, I've seen West Virginia, I've seen America. I'm excited for this. This gives me a reason to go do something in December. We're both cold weather folks here in the North. Um, I really am looking forward to it more so than um, anything else. So I, I know there's a political climate. I know there's a lot of things going on that we're not going to address today, but I like it. I will say this. We are going to proceed with this, with this episode as if we are talking to the people who have decided to go. We're going to give them all the information they need to know for the race. We're, we're just going to assume you have decided to go. If you have decided not to go, I fully support that. There are some things going on politically and injustice-wise that... I can understand why people would not want to be associated with that. My personal take is that I couldn't throw an entire country under the bus and say, don't go visit it because I don't agree with your, your climate. I don't agree with our country's climate on a lot of things, but I would never tell someone not to come here. And I don't think that one injustice um, deserves another. So that's as far as I'm going to get into it. I support, fully support everyone who doesn't want to go there, but I will be going. And so to that end, I'm going to speak on this as if the listener has decided to go and I'm going to prepare them for how to go there. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. That was well said. Um, What if there's a listener on the fence? Do you think they should keep tuning in or do you think they should just stop? Get out of here. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Our two-year-old started saying this week, stay out of my mind. (laughs) Honestly, I've met that little one. She's got a look in her eyes like that one is going to stir the pot a little bit. She's going to be a pot stir. So uh, if you're on the fence, yeah, yeah, keep listening. I'm not going to try to convince everyone to go, but I will say this. My brother went over first for a race before I did. He got back and said, 
like it or, or hate it when you go over there, it has to be experienced once in your life if you can afford it. And so I went to the next race and I came back and I told people the same thing. Whether you like it, whether you don't, whether you despise it, you won't regret experiencing it. That's fair. That's exactly why I went to Thailand a few years ago. All right. So let's dive into the uh, meat and potatoes of this then. So tell the people, all right, you have experience over there, Middle East. Um, tell tell people, just give us like the broad stroke. Uh, you've been there. Tell us just briefly, you've been there. What was the circumstances? Why do you know more than probably most people would about this place? Uh, because I'm super egotistical and I think I know more than everyone about everything, Kirk. Touché, but really, touché. I raced there twice. I've raced there twice and under two totally different circumstances. The first time was flying out on a whim, last minute decision, and it was a race in the desert of Dubai. Like when you picture Dubai desert, this is where I raced. It was flat as far as you could see, except for sand dunes. And it was one of the most taxing races I've ever run in my life. It was so miserable. Sand running is so awful and hard. And the second time I raced, it was a well-planned out trip going off what I learned from the first trip. And the race was night and day different. It was on the far side of the country. It was in a place called Hatta, which is over on the quarter by Bahrain. And it was mountainous. It was like the Rocky Mountains had all the water sucked out of them. It was the driest, rockiest, gnarliest mountain range I've ever seen in my life. And also incredibly beautiful. And I left there saying they could host the world championship right here and no one would be upset with the course. It was incredible. Because the course would be a, a fair representation of all modalities of fitness uh, or yep. what? Not at altitude, but there are mountains, there are trails, there are there is flat rolling area. They could do whatever they wanted to do with it. It wasn't just sand running and it was stunningly beautiful and rugged and everyone would be happy. All right. That's fair. And now, uh, when was this? What time of year? All that. I raced in February or March one year, and I raced in October one year. Both were exceedingly hot for me. They were. Okay. So even in uh, February, March, it was exceedingly hot. For uh, me, it was like 92 that year. The next year, it got up to 98 during the day. Okay. Got it. And um, I know... <laughs> Not to just rub your face in, in it, but I know that some of them were more of the miserable race experiences that you've had. They both were. They both were. Okay. So because of uh, the climate, because of the temperature, because you weren't quite prepared for the terrain, what, what would you say was hard about it? It was everything. I was going over there during fall the second time, during winter the first time, and I was you know, it was near that first year, it was near a hundred degree swing. It was close to zero where I was and I was racing in the nineties. And so that was extremely difficult to deal with. You're going to be in December. It's probably going to be high seventies, low eighties when we race, but that still for someone in December who lives in a cold climate can be a 70 to 80 degree swing from where they live. So the temperature shock is big right off the bat. Okay. And did you get there early enough to, let's say, acclimatize? Or did you just roll in like, I'm a G, man. I'm going to show up and dominate and then got humbled. First year, I was a G. Yeah. I came up yeah, uh, you were. unprepared, booked a flight, got there like right about 24 hours before the race started. So you were about racing the time you should be like dead asleep in a REM cycle back home. Yeah. Good decision. And I could not... I had this whole plan of what I was going to do. No, it was 30. I got there 36 hours beforehand. I got the, I had this whole plan. I timed my sleep on the flight. I was going to get there, land at like 9 PM, take the public transportation, which is incredible there. You, it, it is, you take public transport. You do not need a rental car during the day. Now to get out to this, the site, which is far outside the city, you'll need it. But during the day, the Metro line there is fantastic. So take that. I'd get to the, the hotel. I'd do a brief little jog after checking in, take a shower, eat my last food and go to sleep. Hold on. I'm going to stop you. Sorry. Eat your last food. You mean the 30 uncrustable peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you packed? So you've heard rumor of this, huh? I've heard that your performances were fueled by uncrustables, Bracken. On the way to the airport, 
I stopped by Little Caesars Pizza and I picked up a pizza and I put it into Ziploc bags and we stopped at a Walmart and bought a bulk size uh, frozen Uncrustables. And that's what I brought in my carry-on baggage as my travel food. Because I hadn't traveled overseas in years. I didn't know if I trusted airport food or what I would find when I landed. So I thought at the end of the day, I know that if anything my life has taught me, it's that I can handle pizza and peanut butter and jelly for years at a time without having any impact. You just developed your palate when you were seven and it's never changed since. Never changed. (laughs) (laughs) Juice box. Juice box, some chocolate milk and an Uncrustable and you're fantastic. That's right. Sorry to distract you from your story. It's all right. So by the time I got to bed, it was like probably 11 o'clock p.m. their time. And at three, I just got out of bed, like, screw it. This isn't happening. I was so messed up with the time zones. And I spent like the next 18 hours trying to fall asleep, finally sleeping and just having like a massive fever breakout. And I was just sweating like crazy in the bed. And I got to this, the race morning, just like, what in the world is going on? Oh, you were sick. Um, what's the time zone difference? So people know? From where I was living, it was nine or 10 hours difference. So we're talking roughly ten nine, 10 hours from a United States location. Let's just call it. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. 10 hours. So anywhere from from 9 to 12 hour time difference. It's roughly half a day. Half a day. Okay. Got it. That's a, that's enough of an adjustment. Yeah. You have two choices. You can either get there early and make the adjustment or you can force yourself to keep your time zone. Oof. I went with force myself to keep my time zone the second time. I just said, I'm not going to fight it. I, I was on, it was so stressful trying to fight it because I didn't get there early enough. I was only going to get there two days early. I just slept during the day and I was awake during the night. What worked better in hindsight? Uh, I think getting there five to seven days early would have worked better, <laughs> but I didn't have, we had new babies. I, I wasn't going to leave for that long. It's always easier to travel to somewhere and switch time zones um, than I feel like coming back home and then readjusting to your current time zone. I mean- it's a risk either way, but yeah, I agree with getting out there significantly early so you can sort of normalize. Yeah, if if you can, if you can afford it, and if you can swing it, get out there five to seven days earlier. Okay, and how long was the flight and the itinerary, like all of that? How did that, that so go down? First time, I flew eight-ish hours to Germany or France, one of the two, and then flew another six to eight hours over to Dubai. It's a full day of travel. Full day of travel. Yeah. And it was, uh, and it might've been eight and nine. I had an eight hour and a nine hour flight with three hours in between. And it was just long. So the second time what I did is I found the most direct I could. I flew an hour and a half up to Toronto and then took a straight 13 hour flight over from there. Okay. And that was great. I was able to, cause on an eight or nine hours flight, even if it's overnight, it's useless. By the time you get through the boarding and through going through the meal service. Now you've got what? Six hours left. Yeah. And by the time you fall asleep, you get maybe four hours before they start meal service and then preparing the cabin again. So you can't get real sleep. But on a 13 hour flight, I slept as much as I wanted and I arrived feeling way better. So I guess my advice would be instead of taking two even duration flights, try to get a long one that you can sleep on. 100% agree with that. And for those listening who are wondering, I just checked into flight prices um, today. And if you were to purchase soon, it looks like for most major cities in the US, you're looking between 1100 and 1600 bucks for a round trip if you purchase soon. I fly out of Chicago. I've never flown for more than like 720 to do. I'm just talking, I just did a quick like Expedia gotcha. search and I typed in a couple of major cities and it looks somewhere in that like 11 to 15 or $1,600 range um, for what it's worth, we will say. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of questions. I feel like there's a, like this big storm cloud over like the whole thing. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like feel safe there. I don't know if like this is a smart decision and, and we're coming from two like, you know, adult white male perspectives. And I don't think we need to, as we said, jump into sort of that side of things, but I want you to tell the listeners what they can expect. Like plane touches down, like obviously you're alive and well and doing okay and still want to go back. So like, how did that go? Well, first of all, I I research everything like ad nauseum. 
I'm a researcher before I do stuff. And one of the things I always check before I travel is the city's ratings. There are websites that rate everything. Dubai uh, is like 98th, 97th percentile for safety of all facets of travel. Single male, single female, that kind of stuff. It's a very safe city to be in. Now, there's old Dubai and there's new Dubai. Old Dubai has more of the native population. New Dubai is like 87% expats. So it's foreigners, outsiders. You're going to see as many people who look like you as as many people that don't look like you. We're going to just see a lot of bald dudes running around? I saw a lot of white, pale, bald men. Man, all right. If you're into white, pale, bald men, this looks like it's your race trip. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Start requesting video on these podcasts if you're into that. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, and, and I was unsure the second time if Lisa was going to be able to come, and so I... I researched that as well, and it, it seemed like it was no less safe to travel with a female. And basically, the same the rules applied no matter what you were. Couple, single, gay, straight, don't be obnoxious in public, and you you should be fine. That the the native population, the Emirate, the Emirati crowd, is held to much higher standards than expats and um, foreigners. That like if you are a married couple with light skin or a gay couple with light skin that it kind of applies the same don't be doing huge amounts of pda and you're going to be fine yeah you know you hear horror stories all over the place but the fact seemed that all the research i did and with what i saw over there is people walk holding hands people walk with their knees exposed women can work out in sports bras in fact i went over there and i raced in a shirt both times because i didn't want to be that foreigner i raced in a t-shirt because i didn't want to offend anyone and I show up to the start line and every guy's in compression shorts and no shirt. And the girls are in, you know, spandex, Bundy shorts and, and sports bras. The start line outside of being in a desert looked no different than any race I'd ever been in. So you're telling, you're telling people that um, it, you should pack and dress no different than you would plan to no matter if the race was in the U.S. or elsewhere. Yeah, if you plan on going out on the town, if you plan on on going to a social function, you can be a little bit more conservative. You don't want to offend a culture anywhere you go, but I not once felt out of place anywhere I went. And I wore shorts. I wore tank tops at times. Uh, one of the guys who drove me around the first day I was in, a, I, I brought longer shorts to cover my knees just in case. And I had a t-shirt on and he was in shorts that were above his knees and he had a tank top on and he lives there. So clearly I... I was a little bit more apprehensive than I needed. You know what I think though? Let's say you were going to go to someone's home for the first time. Would you be respectful of their home? Would you take your shoes off when you walked in? Would you say thanks for having me? Would you be like courteous? Yes, exactly. right? You're you're just going to a different, like just be res- like a respectful human and everything is gonna be just fine. And, yeah. and from what I understand, the way that, that the law and regulations kind of apply there is is it's a system of respect like like flagrantly swearing at somebody and if you're like like a decent human and you act generally respectful like you don't even have a an ounce of something to worry about right is that fair to say like we can squash that sort of yeah if you were a gay couple living there in your and that was your place of residence you would probably run into some serious issues in that society if you are a gay couple traveling there is you are probably not going to face any different travel than if you and I traveled together. Yep. Yep. You know, that that's, that's been my, and again, I don't have an agenda with this. I'm just approaching this as if you've decided to go there. Let me put your mind at ease. I've been there. I've seen it. This is what I've experienced. Yeah. So back to your question, what happens when you land? Yep. Land the airport, super nice, very big and pretty easy to find your currency exchanges if you need to, but most people just travel with a card and every single place there just accepted my credit card as is, and just automatically did the conversion. So that was fine. Uh, I got right on the Metro line and took it all the way down to my stop. It's very clear when you're on there, when what stops coming up, where you're going. And it's one of the most spectacular train rides I've ever taken in my life. It, they have big windows and you just see, because the city is laid out in basically a straight line along the coast. And so you drive through all of it as you're going there and you just see everything. And it was, I was really tired and, and it was, uh, it, it woke me right up. It was an awesome train ride in. Okay. And you weren't, so you weren't like peeing through a hole in the bottom of a train, like as a bathroom, you're telling me this is luxurious accommodations. 
Oh yeah, this is the cleanest metro line you will ever be on in your life. Everything in Dubai is spotless and new. Okay. They throw money around at everything there, and it is very clean and super well lit. I arrived at night. I spent most of my nights exploring. Uh, the metro generally closes down around midnight, so I'd drive it. I'd ride it somewhere, see it, and then I'd walk home at like 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and everything was lit up. Okay, and you felt safe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. I was, um, I'm going to give credit where credit was due. I was listening to Obstacle Racing Media's podcast earlier today. They had Cherie Bortnick on. She's with Spartan, and she had just been out in Abu Dhabi. Had a lot of positive things, you know, which makes sense. She's with Spartan. She should have a lot of positive things to say about the decision. Um, yeah, she's a woman. She had spent a lot of time there. Uh, she had felt, and she quotes, like, more safe there than she does in where she currently lives in the United States. So for what that's worth, you know. Um, yeah, I, I would be way more comfortable walking around at 3 and 4 in the morning through their downtown and outskirts cities than I would in my own city. All right. Hands, hands down. Fair enough. Right. Um, okay. So I think we spent enough time on that. Um, as far as like, okay, you can go to Abu Dhabi, you can feel like safe, comfortable, all of that. Let's mm -hmm. dive into what the people also want to know. Okay. You've raced that terrain. You've been there. You've experienced the, the whole deal. <clears throat> Let's jump into the course and the potential of the course. What are we looking at? So you remember when I told you I left that race saying you could host a world championship here and it would be so fantastic. Yeah, I do remember that. It was like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. They did not choose that location. Oh, shoot. All right. They chose the first type of location, which is desert and sand dunes. And it is going to be miserable, especially if they do make it a beast distance. You are going to be spending hours under the sun beating down, no cloud cover, not a plant within miles of you. And you're just going to be losing ground on every single step because the sand is thick. Oh, that makes me think of that makes me think of that snow running. We've been doing what? Yep. That's going to pay off a little bit. Um, so I'm going to go back to Shri Bortnick with Spartan, who had uh, said this on Mappy Davis's podcast, Obstacle Racing Media, and say that she had mentioned that we're basically working with um, sort of a, a little bit of a, we'll call it like hills or mountain range that butts up against, let's call it sand dunes. Mm -hmm. And so they will send us up the hills or mountain. And, but when they do that, it's not going to be this up, down, up, down thing. It sounds like they are going to send us up, keep us up. And when we will, you know, do our thing up on top and then we will come back down. Um, it doesn't sound like there's any long epic climbs. It sounds more like maybe, now I'm totally speculating, like a San Jose at most feel as far as the, the duration of climbs, maybe 100 to 500 feet at a time. And then we're going to level out and flat run with some rolling terrain. Um, and Cherie did mention quite an epic, the largest sand dune in the world finish where we're going to come down into the festival area down the largest sand pile you have ever seen. And the plan is from what I've been told and what I've heard, again, I'm just regurgitating. Uh, we're looking at an afternoon start, like three 30 on a Friday for the elites. And their hope is that it's a sunset sort of finish. And you're going to roll down the largest pile of sand you've ever seen in your entire freaking life as the sun setting apparently into the finishing area. Um, and that's what I picked up from what I had heard on the, the other podcast. So that's my only Intel. And so if they can keep you up in that little foothill mountain range, that's fantastic. And that will save a lot of people's legs. It depends how far the start finish line is from that. Is it going to take a mile of sand running to get there and back? And is are the trails in there going to be sand or is it going to be a little bit more hard packed? That'll be a huge determinant on there. Um, they are going to create runnable surfaces throughout the course. The week of, they are planning to lay out a runnable surface, which means that they're actually going to lay something that is not sand over sand in many spots to make it that more like firm gravel or even 
may I dare say, road or asphalt surface. So again, this is coming from Sri Bortnik, um, her mouth. So they will be prepping the course so it is not all wheel spinning in the sand. That is how I understand it from what I had heard. And I will believe it when I see it. I know that it is very difficult to hold the desert back and I wish them all the best luck in doing so. You know what I think is like, yeah, like the wind picks up and they, they spend a days just laying this runnable <laughs> surface and it's covered in three feet of sand from just like a 50 mile an hour windstorm. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh boy. It, it, it will be challenging. Now running down sand dunes is exponentially better than running up them. If you have to run up sand, it is, it's the most tiring running I've ever done in my life. Running down it's fantastic. It's like running downhill in snow. You just let yourself go and you just kind of like take these long looping, plopping steps into it. That's gonna be a great finish. Yeah. Uh, let's hope we don't have to go up it. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I would assume they're going to use the terrain in that aspect in some capacity. It sounds like there's some firm running up on top, like it will be packed. I guess the topography there, there are salt flats. It's a big salt flat. I, I haven't seen it, but I assume it's Something like uh, the Utah salt flats where it's very packed. It's hard, packed, salty terrain. So I guess that's very runnable. Think of it more maybe as like a pea gravel trail or something. Um, and I think they're going to use a lot of that there as well. So mm -hmm. let's hope we're not wheel spinning for three hours straight. Yeah, you'll, they'll have it for a while and they'll find their best runnable ground. And it'll make for a very unique course that would be enjoyable is not the right word but challenging now interestingly i did not wear gaiters either time i raced there and i never had an issue with sand in my shoes obviously the sand was in there but it's not like i ever thought about it at all during the race the first time i raced sockless in the old reebok all terrains second time i wore the scott super tracks and i wore um some swiftwick socks the swiftwick expire aspire twos so two inches up above the ankle and both times I was fine. I didn't run into chafing or blister issues and I was out there for a long time. All right. Well, I know we'll, we'll touch on this all again when it's closer to the race, but you know, some people like to get nerdy and buy gear ahead of time and test stuff yep. out. Would you say that very aggressive lugs an aggressive shoe, the whole nine, you would, you would probably error people to, to start testing that out now. I'd race in my normal OCR shoes. Oh, you would. Okay. I'd, yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I wore the all terrains in the first one and they did as well as anything possibly could have in just dune running and sand. And in the second one, I wore those Scott super tracks because it was rocky, hard mountain. And anytime we were in sand, they didn't do any better or worse than anything else. Wear your normal, comfortable OCR shoes. Uh, the guy who took third or fourth in that one wore the all terrains for the mountain beast. Another guy wore innovates like any shoe is going to work the same as anyone else. You just want your light, comfortable, fast racer. Okay. Now, you're kind of the subject matter expert here since you've been there and I'm, you know, I don't, I've never been. Um, what caught you off guard about the race itself when you were there? Like, you know, your experiences, it sounds like one time you were sick and one time um, maybe the elements, let's call it, wore on you. So what would be the biggest factors in into racing well there? Um, I guess in December as well as the point you made about it being winter over here. What would be, what would you factor in there? Like what was important, what's important to start getting your mind wrapped around as far as performing well at that race? Whether or not we're on the hard pack sand or not, we're going to hit sand. And I think being able to have uh, a body structure that is able to handle your feet slipping out from underneath you and engaging like all of your muscle fiber, going back to our training Tuesday on winter running, this is why it's important. You have to be training slippery, soggy conditions before this. And ideally you would find a beach somewhere and I would run sand intervals. I think that's number one, get good and efficient at running in sand. You know what um, people don't, I guess that you, if you never raced hard in sand, it's one thing to run easy in, you know, soft terrain. It's another thing. And to you run. did, right? You raced in sand. Yeah. I raced in Las Vegas um, two years ago. Uh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, want to know where I made up my time was in the sand. Now, I, I would say I don't have the longest, most beautiful flowing stride. Um, I would say a quicker cadence. Um, and, and I would say like quick, almost like uphill running sort of turnover is what's efficient. So when we hit the sand, now I was staring at VJ Jones back. 
who's got a more graceful looking stride than I do. But that longer flowing stride did not translate to power in the sand. In fact, that quicker cadence did. So um, I started making up time as soon as we hit the sand. Now, was I working really hard and did it suck? Yeah, it sucked. Um, but it sucked a little less for me just with my shorter stride, quicker cadence. And so um, I would say that even though this isn't a mountain course, from what I understand, doing a lot of uphill type cadence running in that 15 to 25% range before you go is 1000% going to translate to sand running. Sand running is like hill work in disguise, really. So even though it may be a flatter course, um, practicing that, I, I noticed the difference for me. Um, and I had been done a lot of uphill running before the Vegas super a few years ago. So for what it's worth. I agree. Sand running is not about plant and power out. It's about get your foot up off the ground before it slips out from underneath. It's you. minimizing the time your foot is in contact with the earth. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Um, and the quicker you can spin your wheels over the better because you're losing less juice with each push off. Um, yeah. So, so, so second, yes. yeah, go continue. Yeah. So second thing that surprised me at the race was immediately we did some walls, we ran down a dune and then we hit uh rolling mud, which was rolling sand and it was hot. I was already sweating and I jumped down into it and I decided to splash water up over my face and it was salt water. And oh. that was nauseating. That was really terrible to get in my mouth and not that much got in there, but my eyes were burning. My nose was burning. And then for the rest of the race, you had sand and salt drying on my face. And so just be aware that they're, when they pump their water out, they're probably pumping seawater out to their different places. So unless it is labeled as drinking water, assume it's seawater. Well, and it is not refreshing. That's good to know. And actually, in fact, because um, there are salt flats involved, um, I would assume that that ground is pretty saturated. So even if they fill it with a garden hose full of fresh water, that's going to be... Uh, a little salty. Yeah. All right. Uh, then in the longer race I ran, now th you won't run into the issues I ran into. We were supposed to have a 20K race, 19 to 20. It ended up being 30K. So we ran into severe water issues because we didn't bring water with us. And we were out there for an hour and a half longer than we thought we would be. Yeah. But uh, the aid stations were very unique there. Both races I've done, their water stations were single serving water um cups with like a a foil pull tab on the top of it it wasn't grab a cup and splash it you had to open your water and use it was it voss water or fiji water was it was it? not it, you know what it sounds like? like a high class place i thought maybe they'd be giving some voss water out there <laughs> it looked like the that was like fruit punch cups used to get in the cafeteria yeah, yeah. you have to peel that's what it was like uh because you can't just have cups of water out because sand just blows into it right oh that makes and sense they and they can't just fill up there because most of it's seawater you can't just fill up with hoses and so they had single serving cups everywhere and so if you're used to grab and go that could be a little difference maker of having to fumble with stuff and you can't you just can't access it access it as easily maybe they change that for this race but another thing to start thinking about how you carry hydration okay good so basically you jumped into the rolling mud and you drank a bunch of seawater or salt water, you had to drink out of children's cups with tinfoil lids on them. Those were unexpected. What else pro provided a good challenge for you in those races, which caught up with you? The sand you talked about. So yeah, what else? Uh, outside of that, it was a pretty normal race. Some things were different. They they coated their, they painted their walls differently. It was like a sticky tarry substance in the last race we did, and it got all over your hands. And hmm. like there were some little just differences in the way they set up their races and the materials they use. But Olympus was a, was a little different. It was steeper and narrower and less sections. Twister was the same. Spear throw was farther away. I thought, but like it, it was stuff, obstacles were obstacles. It was all the same. It was the terrain and the weather that wore on you. Okay. If you had to compare it to any course you've run in the U S do you have any that come to mind? Vegas for sure. Have you raced in Vegas? Yeah. You have long, long time ago, but I've raced Vegas twice. From what I understand in Vegas, you know, the Vegas course has that sort of steep little, we'll call it like a plateau up top. So you have to go up some steep, short hills. It was some dry, rocky, 
hard packed terrain and then intermittent with sand. I feel like that again, from what we only know so far, that's about right. So if you've raced Vegas, think about that, but think about maybe a little more aggressive climbs at times, maybe a little longer, a little more of them. Um, if I were to just completely guess, I'm assuming they're going to have a beast because that's Mm -hmm. what the world champs has been. Um, you know, Lake Tahoe is roughly 4,000 feet of elevation gain. I bet you in a beast, we might see 1,500 there. I would say that's probably accurate. Yeah. Part of me is disappointed they didn't go to Hata. It would have been this this awesome event. But at the same time, like the course is the course. And what we've seen, what you've seen, what I've seen is that speed translates to sand. It really does. This this is a running event still. When, when I went over there, there's all these people from Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, Morocco, uh, these road runners and trail runners that are these super small, slight individuals who are so fast on the sand. Quick turnover, baby. Yeah, what it showed me is these light, fast runners are still going to be fast in the sand. And they ended up failing obstacles and they would blow back past five minutes later. They were just so much faster than I was on the sand. And it means that Hobie, Batris, Vijay, these guys, Kempson, these guys who are fast runners are going to be fast on sand. Okay. And so you have to, you have to still have your wheels going for this kind of race. You know, what I remember feeling racing in Vegas is... Um, the hamstring and calf recruitment, because what happens is when you're in the sand and you're running hard and you're pushing off your hamstring does this like little hamstring curl equated to like a bicep curl for your arms. It like over, it over flexes, so to speak. So working through like, especially the hamstrings, like you can see hamstring cramps and calf cramps come up in those situations because it just forces a little more flexion out of the, the backside of your leg. So if you're going to do a little more strength work or a little more work, maybe focus on, on the hamstrings, Romanian deadlifts, some other things that might just get those things ready because, um, those are going to fatigue on you more than you realize. And if those are strong and those are durable, maybe you'll, you'll putter out a, a little less quickly if those are ready for that. That's what I think. I agree. I felt it. I cramped both times I raced there. Oh, you did where? Uh, hamstrings for sure. Yeah. Calves. Well, yeah. Your ego. Yeah, my ego is decimated. What's an ego cramp feel like? Is that pretty pretty rough? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't uncramp. It's just, it's just, it just stays for a long time. Perpetual. Sounds rough. Um, all right. Uh, another question I have for you. Um, not 100% on topic with our current line, but um, what is the food like there? Food's whatever you want it to be. Because it's like 80-some percent expats, you find whatever you want to eat there. The local food's pretty cool. Shawarma. It was awesome. I'd never had it before and I loved it. There's, there's stuff everywhere. There's just shops everywhere to buy food and you can, I mean, you can find Burger King. If you want Burger King, there's, if you want Subway, you can eat Subway. If you want to eat totally Middle Eastern food, you just get Middle Eastern food. If you want a Chinese buffet, you can find a Chinese Mm -hmm. buffet. Okay. Does it feel Americanized uh, for lack of a better word? Certain places do. Okay. Uh, You you will not mistake ever that you're in America unless you're in one of the malls or anything like that. The malls are spectacular and huge. Um, But uh, inside of that, parts of it feel more Americanized. But outside of it, no, not really. Okay. Um, So you and I are both coaches. Okay. Mm -hmm. We, We like to dive into the training aspect. I know we've just touched on it a little bit. But I think we should wrap this up in a, in a way uh, in which we talk about like what you would do to prepare. If you would do anything differently, how would you lead up your training? We're a long ways out. I know we're ahead of it, but people are talking about it. People are excited about it. We're not excited about it. But let's talk about the training aspect. What would you do differently or how would you set up your training leading into a course like that? I would treat this like I'm prepping for West Virginia. Oh, okay, great. Rather than like I'm prepping for Tahoe, where I would probably have a pretty defined 50-50 split between flat speed work and hill work. Where Tahoe, I'm going to have like an 80-20 split, maybe more. 
or I'm going to be climbing or I'm going to be descending. And if I'm not doing that, I'm probably not doing anything else. Would you be doing, uh, you know, your infamous shoots and ladders workout? Shoots and ladders. Yeah. But just on a lesser scale. Okay. I, I would be doing climbs into descents. Absolutely. But it would, it wouldn't be five minute climbs. I'd probably be doing a lot of work. Like I would be doing if I was prepping for a 5k, 10k or half marathon speed work, but half of it on flats and half of it doing up and downhill work. Okay. Now I can't just say shoots and ladders and then not tell the people what it is. Um, it's a workout that comes to mind for me when I think about the terrain sounds like shorter, steeper climbs. What is shoots and ladders? What is your shoots and ladders workout? Well, you know, I've convoluted my shoots and ladders for so many different races that I don't know if I'm doing it exactly how it used to be done. So I <laughs> you think don't I'm going to have to go your back. own workout. <laughs> I know my workout, what it is currently, but I feel like you have the pure form of it. So you take the lead. I'll jump in next. I really am a purist, old you school. Uh, my version of shoots and ladders is this. So in my opinion, the hardest part about climbing is descending and then having to climb again and doing it effectively. So shoots and ladders would be interval repeats where you find a hill or a mountain. And let's say your climb is between one and three minutes. You climb hard, you descend hard, and then you have to climb again hard. So you climb, descend, climb, and then you would use like the next descent as your recovery. So, but the point of that is to train a hard climb, a very intense climb, a very intense eccentric damaging descent and then have to climb fast and hard again after a hard descent. So up, down, up. Um, yep. and, and a big weakness of mine when I first got into Spartan racing was, okay, I could climb like average, we'll call it best. But after my first descent and I went to climb again, I was complete crap because of the damage that that um, descent caused me. So shoots and ladders, in my opinion. And again, I'm, this is you gave me this workout initially years ago, you big idiot. So I would call I've it tweaked it a bit. Yeah. Apparently you have tweaked it a bit. So climbing, descending and climbing again is what I would consider shoots and ladders. And it just sounds like there's a sharp edge. Like you're either on the sand dunes or you're that quick little mountain hill country. So you're going back and forth between at times. So that's what I would consider it. Mm -hmm. And I would say in my shoots and ladders now, as I alternate, I go down, up, down, recover on the, on the bottom and then up, down, up. Oh, recovers sure. because I found I did it only one way for long enough that eventually I was always getting a break after the up. That's fair. I'd go up, down, up, and then recover in my next descent. I, you know, it just things, things kind of get chained together. So I started switching it up more, but yeah, it's working on descending after climbing and climbing after descending. Okay. And I think more than usual, I would do speed work under duress compromised running where my legs are tired and now i've got to turn over a bit because sand just sucks more out of you than usual you have to be able to keep your form together and recruit all your muscle fibers to run correctly when you're more exhausted than what you're used to like tahoe is exhausting but it's similarly exhausting to every other course yeah sand running takes you to a different type of fatigue and so you have to get that somehow so get very, very fatigued and then run fast. I would, as I got closer, I will be doing more and more of that. But again, nothing's going to be 10 minute climbs. It's going to be prepping with more manageable bouts at a faster pace than I would prep for something like Tahoe. Okay. That's fair. Um, compromised running we've touched on in, I guess in other podcasts, we will say, and it's a philosophy of ours. That's broken running. That's where you do a strength movement. You go into like a hard effort run. You go back into a strength movement that could be jump squats, burpees, just something to fatigue and change energy systems and go back um, and do it efficiently. So I agree with that. Specifically, what I'm going to do is I don't have miles or even a kilometer of sand to work with, but I'll have a hundred meter stretch at a local lake or at you know the, the lakefront down in Milwaukee. And I will run almost like wind sprints. I will go back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, get really, really tired from running and then pop right up to the sidewalk and hit a thousand or yeah. hit an 800. And so it'll almost be like a mile repeat where it'll be five to six minutes in duration, but it'll be three minutes of sand and then three minutes of a flat just to get used to popping back and forth between being using everything and now running efficiently. And then maybe the next rep swap back to run the thousand sidewalk and then pop down to three minutes of sand. Okay. Yeah. If I were to give one piece of advice. Um, I would say it's not a mountain course. 
However, I would err on more of the side of training for a mountain course in the sense, like if you're sand running, it's going to force a forward lean. Like if you were running uphill, it's going to force again, as we talked about that same cadence. Um, you know, when you're running uphill and it's an extended, an extended climb and your hips start to go and like the, the teardrops, of your quads, like the end of your quads start to go and they start to fatigue out on you. That's how it feels when you sand run for a while, those hips will start going. The ends of your quads are just going to burn like crazy. Your ham, I mean, it's like a whole different deal. So I would say don't skimp out on some of the longer uphill efforts, whether it's on your treadmill or it's outside only for the fact that like, let's say they throw us at a mile stretch of sand running. Um, a mile stretch of sand running is a long ways and it could have, that would be the longest mile of your life, probably longer than a climbing mile. So I would say, do not leave out the hill work. Um, that's going to best simulate some just disgusting, nasty run and play sand. That's what I would yeah. do. Cause I don't have a beach, like running back and forth on a beach. Sure. Like you can do that a few times. That'll the novelty of that'll wear off. Um, that's just my opinion. Yeah, there's no no novelty to sand running other than when you watch it on TV. Oh yeah, Baywatch, meow. Right. All right, what else did I not ask you? Because you're our you're our expert uh, guest today. What have I not asked you that we should cover? I think we've covered it in terms of the course. You know to expect sand. You know to expect some climbs. You know to expect the daunting task of a world championship race. Um, the rest of it is just being as stress free in your travel. And I say plan out how you're going to do it. Staying in Dubai is awesome. The race is outside of Abu Dhabi, but it is like two and a half hours from Dubai and it's like an hour and a half from Abu Dhabi. So either way, you're going to be driving in the morning to get to this place. You won't be staying on site. And so whether you stay in Abu Dhabi, if you if you are concerned about some of the social climate thing, about the injustices, Dubai is more tolerant than Abu Dhabi. And so you can always just stay in Dubai and drive up in the morning or drive up the night before, stay in Abu Dhabi just the night before, but you have options of where to stay. There are more hotels per capita in Dubai than any place I've ever seen in my entire life for a couple of reasons. Their tourism industry is huge. And also liquor license only gets sold to restaurants that are attached to hotels. Hmm. So every restaurant that serves alcohol is in a hotel. And so hotels are like meeting grounds. There's like one room that people can rent attached to like a bar. They're like, this is our hotel. Here's your room. The hotels are big. They might have three or four restaurants in every hotel because uh, I got you. It's it, like how we have might have a strip mall with restaurants. They have a hotel with is restaurants. Is that like, okay, guys, you can get liquored up, but then you can only basically walk upstairs to your room. So you can't go out in is. public. You can't, you can't create issues with trying to drive home. I don't know. It certainly might be. So anyways, any restaurant, if you want to own a restaurant, you have to own a hotel basically. <laughs> and so there's hotels everywhere. You will always find places to stay there. And most of them are really nice or really cheap. Like if you wanted to get to a solid level of what like a day's in would be here, where you might pay, I don't know, 80 bucks a night for a day's in. It would cost 30 bucks a night there. Okay. Or you'd pay 80 bucks a night and you'd have a rooftop pool and you'd have a huge fitness center and a huge buffet spread for breakfast. You get a lot of bang for your buck for your hotels there. And the Airbnb scene is huge. Okay. They have so many high rises with condos and apartments that people Airbnb out. Okay. So traveling there is kind of the expensive part. Once you get there, you shouldn't expect anything crazy different from maybe what you would have here. Maybe even a little less. It'll be cheaper. Okay. Yeah. Travel's easy on the Metro. Metro, Metro, I forget which one it is. And and rental cars aren't insane either. But you will have a long drive to the venue and a long drive back. That was so um, plan accordingly. That was part of their decision making process for a, an afternoon championship wave. If it was an early morning race, um, I guess it sounds like most of the commutes are an hour and a half to the venue. So yeah. they're not going to have a morning race. Uh, it's going to be later so that all of that, you don't have to stress over. You can make your way out, I guess, because yeah, it, the travel is going to be an issue. Um, but it sounds like I think everybody's going to have, or they're going to have uh, systems in place, everything trans from all the major hotels, from all the, like, you're going to be fine. You just hop on something. It'll all be laid out for you. So was that your experience for the, the races you had done that they had laid that out for you, even for like a smaller, they did not lay race? it out. Okay. No, they didn't lay it out, but there are taxis and, 
and car services everywhere. And, and also the, the people over there are incredibly welcoming. I, uh, prior to going over there, a couple racers had found out and they just reached out like, Hey, you can stay with me if you want, or I don't have room, but I can pick you up in the morning. I had a guy pick me up from my hotel and bring me to the race. Sweet. Just very generous. And, and I took advantage of it. And then afterwards had a, a guy, a local guy there, um, Halvard. He's one of the big dogs over in Dubai in their, their race scene. He just toured me around the city for hours, just picked me up from my hotel and just took me everywhere that I should see. And it was, it was really cool. So don't hesitate to reach out in some of the online Spartan Facebook groups and just say, Hey, I'm coming over. Who wants to, who, who can show me around? I'd love to, to see the city. I would say whether you stay, if you stay in Dubai, definitely go see, or if you stay in Abu Dhabi, go see Dubai. It is where the Burj Khalifa is incredible. The mall, the Emirates is incredible. Um, Ferrari world's incredible. Like all, all this stuff, whether you're in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, there are incredible things to see. You should go see it. My first trip, I did not get out enough. I was jet lagged and hung over from travel and I did not experience enough. And you got to experience it. All right. So book some time there. Um, all right. Let's wrap this thing up. Are you, uh, are you, are you going, are you planning to go and race? I really want to. I'm waiting to hear the stadium announcement. My gut feeling says they're going to have the stadium there as well, or somewhere in close proximity at in like the same week. That's going abroad. That's what I'm hoping for so that I get to go over there. All right. So it would be contingent upon what the stadium series is doing. Yeah. The focus of my year is going to be more on high rocks, deca stadium series. Uh, I'm just not a fantastic sand runner and I don't know outside of, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, a sponsor wants me over there and then I'll go race, but to pay my own way there to, I don't believe I can go top 10 in the world there. So I lose money on the trip. Okay. That's fair. I realistically, I wouldn't pay my own money to go there right now, but if I decide this is the family vacation we're taking this year and I look at it from that perspective, I will absolutely be there. But if this, if the stadium championships there, I'm there for sure. All right. You're in. Can't wait. hundred percent guaranteed. Bracken will be there. Just bring some sunblock for that noggin ears. I will be oh, yeah. there. I will be there. I um I think life is this experience oriented thing, and I think traveling uh, that direction would be one of those. And for that reason alone, regardless as to any other factors, I will be going there. And I'll tell you what, I certainly am happy that it's not at elevation and it is more flat running than anything. So um, I'm gonna throw down there. Absolutely. Yeah. My final piece here is I, I guess if you're looking at it from a cost perspective, uh, definitely room up with people and uh, and go with Airbnbs. My brother and I stayed in this uh, two bedroom, three bedroom apartment with views of the Burj Khalifa right on the, the canal that takes that the river runs out to the ocean in a business district. And we paid something like 67 or $77 a night. Oh. It had Wi-Fi. It had three gyms in the in this giant like hundred story apartment building and yeah, 67 bucks a night for three bedroom. Now that's not going to be everywhere, but bunk up with people travel together. It's a, it's, it's very, very doable once you're over there. That's fair. Any, any other nuggets come to mind? I don't think so. I think you got to research everything, find like five or six awesome things that you could not do anywhere else in the world and make sure that you do them while you're there. Like anything else, you get out of it what you put in. And that city is easy to get stuff out of it, but you still got to, you're going to be tired. It's hot during the day. Like Get out and set up some things. Go do the dune buggies. Have one of the desert barbecues where you ride camels and dune buggies and do that. You know, go skydiving over the top of the Palm Jumeirah. Do some crazy things because you just don't have it anywhere else in the world. You're selling me on it right now. And um, <clears throat> you would say that people should not be reticent to go over there in your opinion in general and go for if it excites you and wanting to do the spartan race world championship excites you like do it don't let anything else affect your decision absolutely if you if you check one of the boxes that is sometimes you know discriminated against in that type that part of the world if you are a female if you are a gay couple if you are whatever else is on your radar, I say stay in Dubai. Okay. Maybe don't stay in Abu Dhabi. Stay in Dubai. Uh, rent 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 a Airbnb. 
there's no employees there. Like no one's checking up on you. Like sometimes you hear horror stories of, uh, of someone being jailed, a, a gay couple being jailed in a hotel because someone spotted them going up to their room. I don't think it happens very often, but when it does, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, but get an Airbnb, do your thing in public, be respectful of their traditions. And I don't think you'll have any problem. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll have to work on the respectful piece at all times, but I think I can hold it together. What it's crazy. Think? When I went over there, one of the guys told me like, no, whatever you do, do not flip anyone else off. Right. Like, <laughs> they will throw you in jail. I'm like, so disrespectful here. Really? Yeah. It's yeah just... You could fit in his face before you will flip him off. <laughs> <laughs> just keep thinking of that word respect. Just be respectful. Um, you got nothing to worry about. Um, I got nothing else to add, man. I think you've been super, um, insightful here because I didn't know a lot of this. I think there's a little more information out in the world for people to make those decisions who are maybe going to potentially book something. Yeah. I'll reiterate what I said at the start. If you don't go, I support that and I totally get it. But if you do go, you will not regret it. Um, I will follow that up with saying, if you don't go, I think, I think you should go (laughs) based on no personal experience. Um, that's that's my concluder. Till next time. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. These shoes are off-road, trail training and racing, bulletproof, and they have the best grip on the planet. Best grip on the planet, hands down. Feet down. Feet down. Get yourself some. <laughs>